Hello Hello there. there. Welcome everyone back to another episode of Star Wars in a Galaxy, watching all the Star Wars we can get our hands on. This is episode 43, that's what it is, 43. Um, I'm Eli. I'm Jacob. And today we have a very special guest. How are you, Maggie? Good, how are you? We're doing doing pretty great. Um, It's crazy for me to think because this podcast was not started in quarantine, but it really took off when this whole pandemic started and now we're a year out from that which is like just kind of crazy to think about um but yeah maggie is if you don't know her she is the managing editor of your money geek she co-hosts the star wars friends podcast and she runs a great star wars youtube channel called let's talk about star wars i think i got it um yes you got it all (laughs) um there we go so um with maggie we are going to be discussing the three episodes of star wars the clone wars the mandalore plot Voyage of Temptation and Duchess of Mandalore, as or later as I'll call it, Duchess Satine's no good, horrible, very bad day. Um, <laughs> That's very accurate. <laughs> it, it is the Murphy's Law of Satine. Um, Maggie, before we get into the episodes, how did you get into Star Wars? Oh my goodness! So I am a prequel baby. I was. Uh, six when The Phantom Menace came out and I didn't really have much of any concept of what Star Wars was Um, but my dad wanted to take me to see it opening weekend because my parents had seen Star Wars and they were fans of the franchise Um, so you know I went into Phantom Menace completely cold no idea what Star Wars was I was pretty certain I was just gonna like take a nap during the movie and it basically changed my life i came out of that like i want more i want to like fully ensconce myself in this world so i wore out um vhs's of the original trilogy i started reading the expanded universe books and basically just went headfirst into star wars and it's been a glorious 21 years <laughs> impressive um another question how did you get um you know your um, the uh, on the Star Wars Friends show and you're, you run your YouTube channel. How do you get into Star Wars content creation and all of that, all those avenues? So I have been online since I was six years old as well. <laughs> um, so I've basically grown up online. So kind of shifting into fandom was very natural. I have really distinct memories of being on some of the old AOL chat boards for Star Wars back in the day, like late 90s, early 2000s. And so there came a point like midway through college that I was like really wanting to get back in touch with like my geeky, um, nerdy self. Um, I'd been like really into Star Wars fandom and my mid teens. And then there was like all like the weird pressures to like, maybe it's not cool to wear a Padawan braid out in public. (laughs) So I had kind of like sheltered myself from that. And then obviously with Twitter, um, is a can of worms, <laughs> so to speak. Cool. Um, so I met a lot of really cool people that encouraged me to try out podcasting. Um, Star Wars Friends was actually the first podcast that I was on. Um, and then I was really fortunate that a few months later, um, I was asked to come on as a full-time co-host. Um, and that will be like a year in May, which is crazy uh, to think that it's only been a year. Um, and then with YouTube, my mom's always told me that I should do a YouTube show I like have been a YouTube fan since it first came to being in like 2005, 2006. Uh, so it was kind of like a long time coming just to have somewhere that was fully mine to talk about Star Wars and kind of do my own my own thing. 
um, and talk about some of the cool stuff that I, I get early content for um, your money geek that way. So it's been fun to talk about Star Wars stuff there. That's awesome. awesome. Uh, but yeah, so what we usually do um, before we get into our analysis of the episodes, we usually like to give a brief summary of what happens so people know what's going on. So first, the Mandalore plot. Um, Obi-Wan is called to Mandalore um, because he uh, has heard reports, the Jedi have heard reports, that Mandalore may be building up a secret army to join the Separatists. Um, he comes to Mandalore and finds the Duchess of Mandalore there, his former flame, Satine Kreis, um, and she is investigating Death Watch incursions. Um, there is a bombing when they're walking out on Mandalore, which leads them to Mandalore's moon, which is called um, Concordia, in which uh, Satine finds out that the um, that the um, Prime the Minister Watch. of Concordia oh. is a traitor and is working for the Death Watch, um, and Obi-Wan and Satine barely escape with their lives. Okay. Maggie, why don't you take it away? Voyage of Temptation. So essentially, Duchess Satine travels from Mandalore to Coruscant on this whole diplomatic mission with Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, one of my favorite moments in this whole arc with the, the beard conversation occurs. Um, Anakin and the troopers are defending her from several of these assassination attempts um, aboard this luxury starship and this is when Anakin kind of starts to realize that there's this history between Obi-Wan and Satine. This is the middle of this absolute glorious arc in the Clone Wars. And then the third episode, Duchess of Mandalore. As Eli said, this is Satine's absolutely horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day. We start off in the Senate chambers um, they're debating about the possibility of a Republic occupation of Mandalore. Um, things take a turn for the worse, however, when um, Palpatine uh, plays a falsified recording for the Senate. And the recording basically is, is a senior politician of Mandalore saying, you know, um, we need Republic support. That wasn't what he was actually saying, but that's what it's been made to look like through a lack of context. So then public opinion is swayed drastically towards a Republic invasion of Mandalore. Um, and then while she is coming back from, or no, while she is en route to see Palpatine, um, Satine uh, and her entourage, their ship is actually bombed and, and she thinks it's an assassination attempt, which it is. But when she's talking to Palpatine about it, Palpatine uses it as, as a justification for invading uh, and occupying Mandalore. The Senate votes to occupy Mandalore, and Satine tries to meet up with an informant to get the real recording. But while that is happening, the informant is assassinated, and everything just kind of falls apart. She's on the run with Obi-Wan. And yeah, it kind of it, it takes us to a pretty low point, I would say, in her... Uh, in her life, at least in the Clone Wars. And of course, um, Obi-Wan, they get the um, crew recording into the Senate, and there's no invasion of Mandalore. But, um, oh, I forgot about that, yeah. Yeah, but even so, I'm gonna, we're going to get into, I'm going to get into this um, later, is like, 
things don't really wrap up in a super satisfying way for Satine. A lot of people no, they really notes are, no, dead really or, are dead traitors or both. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, um, now I guess we're gonna just dive right into the Mandalore plot. Uh, we usually start by going over our fortune cookie for the episode. The fortune cookie uh, of the Mandalore plot is, if you ignore the past, you jeopardize the future. So, what do we think of this? Um, Pretty accurate. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a solid one. We've had some hit or misses in the beginning of season two, um, but I, th- I I really like this one. I think it's a I think it's you know we have um, the one of the most interesting things in my opinion about the Mandalore plot as an episode is the idea that Death Watch isn't legitimate yet. It's mm-hmm. it's on its way. It's gonna be there, but it's not legitimate. You know, you don't have that full-scale invasion you'll get in, like, Season 5, for example. Or, you know, that all-out war you get in Season 5. Or what we hear about happening, um, you know, even though the Night of the Ta- a Thousand Tears in The Mandalorian was a failure, we, you know, I kind of get this image in my mind of, like, the Empire just swarming in on all these different Mandalorians and them somehow falling. Um, all, all this to say, Mandalorian warriors will be a, a significant force in the future, but they're not now. Um, and I think Satine kind of dismisses the potential of that. And if you ignore the past, you jeopardize the future. Um, yeah, I think that's a very interesting take. I kind of, um, I kind of thought about the real world connections when I uh, when I watched this episode, especially um, the legacy of the Civil War. Um, that that was what kind of was brought to my mind through all this where you know we see the death watch and we see the satine there's two kind of in this case it's very black and white polar opposite groups but you know the death watch is really mad and wants to go back to the old warrior ways and they're we're, they're using this argument that we hear people using all the time of you're forgetting mandalore's history like you're forgetting mm-hmm. our history you're forgetting our heritage and even though i think that she's doing something very positive by trying to move towards a more a more peaceful vision of mandalorian society it's really interesting to see that. And, you know, I think Satine, though, is also kind of affected by this, uh, if you ignore the past, you jeopardize the future. Um, because, you know, well, she see, we, she see, we see that she is doing something good and stopping Mandalore from being a destructive force. But she's also glossing over kind of the history of Mandalore as a pretty, uh, a pretty, a pretty violent force that subjugates a lot of other people and worlds. And we see her kind of ignoring the root problem and just saying, you know, we banished the rest of the warriors. They're on the moon. They can't possibly, they can't possibly be forming a, a mm-hmm. radical terrorist group to try and assassinate me and take over and return us to the, to the old ways and the days of old. So I think it's, so I think it, it kind of applies to both the Death Watch and to Satine, how they're both kind of forgetting some things. And the Death Watch forgets that Mandalore's violence is ultimately also what brought them down in the end. Mm-hmm. I agree. I feel like she has like overlooked those origins and just thinks, like you said, Jacob, that she can just forge forward and kind of rebrand Mandalore, so to speak, as this more peaceful nation while failing to recognize that that anger and that violence that's rooted in their origins is going to come back to, to bite her, um, especially even with, you know, Bo-Katan's own 
<laughs> involvement. <laughs> it's right at home Don't get him that there is this dichotomy between you know the two sisters and where they they envision a future for Mandalore. Um, and I, I just I love this one because there's there's so much to the culture of Mandalore and the Mandalorians that come through in this um, and embracing the old ways while you know evolving. That is such a key piece of Star Wars. I mean, we see it throughout the entire franchise, but I feel like Mandalore at, at the center of everything feels much more like the perfect example of this letting go of the past. You know, kill the past. <laughs> um, not to quote Kylo, Kylo Ren, but there's this this idea letting of letting like, go of the past and killing the past are two different things. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, it's the same. It's the same thing, <laughs> um, but it's this idea that you can't just pretend. The, the past didn't exist. You have to embrace it and find a way to forge forward. And I think that's where Satine unfortunately failed. Yeah. yeah. I, I, it, yeah it it's was... a very interesting, yeah. it's a very interesting dilemma, I think. Mm -hmm. um, one thing is, oh yeah. Everything for this arc comes to me back to um, the speech. And I'm sure I will rant about this later um, that Prey Vizsla gives at the end of the episode. For centuries, my ancestor no, it's for generations, I keep getting these two mixed up. For generations, my ancestors fought proudly as warriors against the Jedi. Now this woman tarnishes the very name Mandalorian. That is a speech filled with spite. And mm -hmm. it is spite for Satine in ignoring the past. Um, though it is also, again, as Jacob mentioned, Representative Vizsla himself ignoring the past because, you know, they were all wiped out, the Mandalorian Warriors. They were all wiped out actually, wow. This is a coincidence that just dropped uh, in my mind. A thousand years before the prequel era, the Sith were all wiped out. But now they're coming back um, stronger than ever, just like the Death Watch. I'm sure that's not a coincidence. Um, totally not a coincidence. <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah. no. These things are very intentional. Um, and um, so I guess let's get into the episode. Um, so... Uh, the first thing, one of the first major things um, that I noticed... We got our famous controversy about Jango Fett and Boba Fett, and whether they are or are not Mandalorians. It's the thing that Dave Filoni cannot make up his mind about until, like, a few months ago, maybe, we think. Yeah. Possibly. Um, I don't know. I don't because... think that um, Olmec... It, that's Olmec, right? The guy who says yeah. he's just a combat hunter. I don't mm -hmm. think he's necessarily a reliable narrator. You know, we we see he's he's a... He's one slippery fish. Uh, he's, he isn't. However, he's very on, sneaky, so I wouldn't take the, what he says at face the, value. On the behind-the-scenes DVD of Season 2, though, Dave Filoni is quoted as saying that Django and Boba are not Mandalorians. Wow. So, well, maybe he was, maybe he was siding with Almec in that. He was building up the tension for yeah. us. <laughs> so I, I really think, honestly, what happened was... Um, I can see a, uh, a conversation between John and Dave being like this. Dave, I admire you're fighting the good fight out here, but <laughs> nobody's going to nobody's going to buy that Jango Fett and Boba Fett aren't the Mandalorians. Aren't Mandalorians? Given the first thing you think of when you think Mandalorians is <laughs> Jango Boba and Boba Fett. <laughs> yeah, I really absolutely. think that was what happened. And Dave's like, eh, all right, fine. I, I, it, sorry, as he says. Interesting, interesting. Um, I guess I'll, um, I guess I'll put it in the tragedy. Um, again, I don't know who put it in there, but you know, it's, um, 
also so much of that goes against what the Mandalorians believe in because the whole concept of foundlings and not having to be born on Mandalore or as a Mandalorian to be a Mandalorian. It's like the yeah. antithesis of what Boba Fett and Jango are. Yeah, it's interesting um, though. There's yeah, it, I feel like there's so much that we could dig into in the next seasons of the Mandalorian and whatever other media comes out, maybe the book of Boba Fett, because then we end up seeing also um, Bo-Katan kind of hint that maybe she doesn't believe in the, oh, in the foundling. So the that <laughs> I've never wanted to fight her so fold. badly. <laughs> I know, I know, me too. So it's just so interesting how it, it, Mandalorian, it seems almost like a religion at this point rather than mm-hmm. like a, a planet of people the way there are these different factions and they have different ideas about can you be brought in? Do you have to come from the lineage? You know, though there super, is also super interesting. I was thinking about this connection too because you know, um, uh, it reminds me. I don't know if either of you have seen this meme. Uh, Mandalorians um, and Jedi are common enemies, like Mandalorians and Sith, and Mandalorians <laughs> and bounty hunters, and Mandalorians against other Mandalorians. Screw these Mandalorians! They ruin Mandalorians, um, which is really true. And actually, it reminds me of the Jedi in a weird way, because, you know, you got these people who want, you know, midichlorian tests. You know, Jacob could talk all day about the Jedi living <laughs> their way. and But the Jedi are constantly evolving as this religion and having this evolved purpose. And look what we have. So are the Mandalorians. You know, they're they're ancient enemies, but as, as Palpatine says, and I know we try not to rely on Palpatine for gospel on this um, podcast, but... You know, he says to Anakin around the Sith, the Jedi and Sith are alike in almost every way, including their quest for, quest for greater power. Now, I don't agree mm-hmm. about that second part, but Jedi and Mandalorians, in my opinion, are more similar than you might think from looking at them. Um, yeah, there's a purity in there that a lot of Mandalorians want to keep. Um, Definitely, and a lot of Jedi yeah. Want to keep. Um, yeah. So see. I think moving into... What, what, how does the episode start out? We have the call with Dooku, which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah. Or between Dooku and um, Pre Vizsla after Obi-Wan arrives. I think that's interesting because we see time and again Palpatine's strategy is kind of push the public opinion to his side rather than rely just on on brute force. Like we, we, hear, um, we hear Dooku say, if the Republic occupies, then the Death Watch will be hailed as liberators and and i feel like that kind of mirrors how you know the the jedi are already seen in the prequel era as kind of these mysterious wizards by by most people and they're they're kind of maybe not so trustworthy and then palpatine enhances that then and then with order 66 says that they tried to assassinate him and kind of seals the deal so i i saw i saw some parallels there that i thought were were kind of interesting and we almost see that later on with the doctored footage as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We got those, like, this is an interesting thing. The Republic, for me, is in, is leaning towards those imperialistic tendencies. They're leaning towards what is going to eventually make them the Empire. You know, we see that with, like, a privacy invasion later and with the, pol- with the politically inspired arcs. But this is a big glimpse, and it's interesting because usually we see in the Clone Wars the Republic wanting to get involved in all of this stuff. They mm-hmm. want to help. They want to do this, but often they can't for some reason. Bounty hunters. We were covering this earlier this season. They're, we're like, they're Anakin and Ahsoka are like, why can't we help the Felucian farmers fight back? 
but now it's the opposite. We're flipping the script, which is maybe sometimes Republic involvement isn't a good thing. I will say this about all three episodes. This this bugged me. Um, this bugs me in all the Mandalore arcs. The Mandalorian people, the will of the Mandalorian people is just like, can change at the drop of a hat. It's so malleable. It always bothered me about how easily it could be changed. It's like, their critical thinking skills must be extremely low because mm -hmm. it's just like, whenever anyone does anything that reeks of invasion for them, it's like, nope, you're out. Nope, you're out. Um, any any disrespect to the culture? Nope. Sorry, we're not doing this anymore. But then, when once it reveals that they're lying, it's of course like you know, oh, you're good yeah. now. It's, it's. I mean, some would say that's human nature. You know, I think that's yeah. it, it's it's kind of funny to me that you would mention that because I I, I, I know I feel like I see that in the real world a lot. I don't know. It just feels or, a little flimsy to me. Um, maybe I think it's maybe just that they mention it a lot. Um, yeah, it feels like. They're constantly going back to that. Yeah, that's fair. You know, um, yeah. Do you have anything to add at this point, Maggie? No, you're hitting all the high points. <laughs> okay, yeah. We just want to make sure that we're moving in the right directions so that you yeah, can we, um, add whatever, and, you, whatever and you want. Actually, I want to talk about um, Favreau, John Favreau. This is John Favreau's first entrance into Star Wars, period. Um, and, <laughs> yeah, I. This is my favorite part. I'm sure that John Favreau had no idea what a Mandalorian is what was before coming into this. But he's like, okay, I'm gonna do this. Um, and I was tell I was saying this to Jacob before that we started recording. I find it so poetic that the first place we see the dark saber is in Favreau's hands, mm -hmm. like literally as his character. And now the last place we've seen it is in Favreau's hands as a director and as a showrunner. Um, that's, it's like poetry. That, it rhymes. Yeah. See, there we go. Um, it, it is a way of, that weapon has a way of getting back into Jon Favreau's hands is what I'm trying to say. So is he the leader of Mandalore? Wait. Oh, this is, see, Jacob and I have had some pretty interest in incredible fan theories on this podcast. You know, <laughs> first we have um, Babu Frick is actually Snoke. Now we have oh John Favreau is the leader leader of Mandalore. You see, look, Mikey Zero got nothing on us. Let me tell you. Um, oh gosh. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, Satine and Obi Wan are out walking when boom, boom explosion, um, big explosion. Uh, a I think it's just in a common square. Um, I thought they, that later it is revealed that it's in some sort of a memorial shrine, I believe. It is? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. Like, yeah. Like out near the gardens, right? Yeah, yeah. Attack near the memorial shrine and bring a bell, yeah. Trees. Yeah. Um, and it's, this, is, this attack for me is so interesting because it's just like, it's so, it's so blatant, but it almost seems to have it's it's not well like there's no bigger strategy behind it. It's just okay. We are going to have people die, and we are going to make it clear that Death Watch is back. That's those are the only two goals of yeah. such an attack like this. It also reminds me of the the scene, the Slimo scene, um, when Padme is attacked, and yep. rather than go down, rather commit suicide or get killed from afar. Yeah. <laughs> That, to send that a message. We'll, we'll talk about that character a little bit later. 
Um, don't, trust me, she she does her job well. She hit the ship. She hit the ship. They used a decoy. It's not her fault. Um, yes. I let's see. So um, I thought it was yeah. interesting that they put the Death Watch symbol there. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously yeah. it makes a statement, but I'm a little confused, and I was wondering if there's something I was missing, or if you guys wanted to weigh in. But why would the Death Watch, if they want to be eventually hailed as heroes, start building up their reputation as kind of just terrorists, just bombing people? Because the Death Watch is tied to the old ways, which violence was key, so they would be heroes in the minds of those people who ascribe to that. I was going to say something this is why very we had you similar. On. You, you I, I was, was going to say block. something yeah. very similar to Maggie, not as go. eloquent. I was going to go with by exposing the people who are living in a peaceful society to violence, they can start establishing violence as the common way again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Normalize violence again. Yeah. Um, yeah. And let's talk about the... So Jacob and I have had a running shtick with the show that many people have had, which is, there's this is a kid's show, except for not really, because exhibit A in this episode... The Mandalorian bomber commits suicide. I mean, he literally jumps off of a platform and yeah, and he falls dies. off the platform and dies. Yeah. That it's it's it is the most in a series that's already gotten pretty gruesome. We've seen parasites, we've seen what else have we seen? We've seen like rave injury, we've seen I'm trying to think, because a lot of the more gruesome stuff, like Savage Press beheading somebody, that happens I mean, like two seasons out. Um, I mean, I mean, at least at this point, I think we've already passed the point where uh, Cartoon Network censored the scene of Asajj Ventress impaling a clone trooper and then ripping oh, yeah. off his helmet and kissing him, that's, which I found pretty disturbing. That's later on, but yeah. They also oh, wait, that is? Sure they were... It's such a great scene, though. Uh, yeah. Maybe it was, yeah, was it earlier sure chronologically? What? No. Was it earlier chronologically? It, you... it wasn't, no. It's 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 early, it's later both in chronological and release. That's the weird oh. one because it's Okay, apparently I'm, I'm, apparently I'm talking nonsense then. I don't no, know where I got th- that from. Three one is before, three three is before, three t- two both actually and release is after both of them. It's a weird one. Um, but no, it's at, we haven't seen it yet. It's our Clone okay. Wars um, is a, a mess of continuity. <laughs> it is. We're but, watching yeah. in chronological order, so it's constantly like, oh, here's just a random season three episode in here. Yay. Yeah, it's, um, it's very for no reason. Uh Like, there was an episode after this arc called Senate Murders. We're not watching that till season three. Um, uh, but it was... Uh, so, this is... Okay, here's some symbolism right here. I love this. Mandalore, we got our Sundari, we got our very, it looks very peaceful. I mean, it is very peaceful, but like, it looks, the architecture is very peaceful. It's very, mm-hmm. like, s- square rectangles in line perfectly. And it's very, you know, we we even have that, you know, Mandalore is that white dust planet. And mm-hmm. then we have the almost, I would say, almost bloodstained Concordia. Rocky, a little jungle-ish, mostly just rocky plains of almost looks a little bit like Geonosis. And I really like the contrast because you get to see one of the planets is normally peaceful. One of the planets is normally violent. Um, yeah. So. I think it's kind of, there's a certain cruel irony to me in that the warriors, the terrorists, the people who embrace violence get to live on pretty much the one part of the Mandalorian vicinity that hasn't been completely destroyed by violence. And then, 
most of the pacifists are on Mandalore, which of course has been turned into just oblivion by centuries of nonstop conflict. Yeah, um, I definitely agree. Um, I feel like we should address one of the elephants in the room this episode, of this entire arc really, because we haven't yet, and I'm surprised we haven't. Duchess Satine Kreitz is what I was saying. Um, I was saying, and I was bungling my words a little bit because uh, I was trying to figure out how it's going to go with this. Very few people, Obi-Wan is known by the, the, by the nickname The Negotiator. Mm-hmm. Um, and very few people can out-verbalize, can out-debate, can out- um, can expose logical fallacies in Obi-Wan Kenobi. Then you have Satine, who's doing it left and right like it's no big deal. Uh, she is... I, I, I've heard this thrown around in reference to this arc. Satine is a Shakespearean character. These arcs are more, in my opinion, more Shakespearean than, like, I've heard Revenge of the Sith thrown around as Shakespearean. It is. These arcs are the pinnacle of Shakespearean influence, in my opinion, on Star Wars. Oh yeah, 100% agree. Satine is this, like, in the vein of Hamlet, this tragic hero who is... who has some flaws about her, but is generally a good person, but she just keep bad thing after bad thing keeps happening to her, especially in Duchess of Mandalore, but, you know, that's just the tip of the iceberg when we really look into stuff. I mean, you know, next season, just next season, we're gonna have kids being poisoned, and, like, um, okay. Uh, so, uh, people getting poisoned and all that stuff. Uh, Satine is not is not um doing well he never does no last time obi-wan was on Mandalore, there was a year civil war a year yeah she seems to have a lot of like bad things following her throughout her life but you know one of the things i think is so interesting with satine is that the character's name is too ironic for me not to like always mention the fact that yeah moulin rouge and satine tragically dies in Moulin Rouge and Ewan McGregor's arms. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's so too good. It's too, too, too good. Um, I, I remember reading an interview or some quote by Henry Gilroy, who was one of the main writers and producers on The Clone Wars, and they asked him about that. And he's like, no, that's just a coincidence. I'm like, <laughs> like sure, <laughs> that's a coincidence. That's sure, a big that's coincidence. a coincidence. It's a weird name. <laughs> that is... And- that is 100% a coincidence. And she dies, like, the same way, like, draped in his arms. It's the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Instead it's... of uh, tuberculosis, she dies by Maul's Stabbing. hand. <laughs> Stabbing. Um, yeah. yeah. We'll get to... Yeah. Yeah, I just love... End... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just thinking, yeah, that's in season five, so that's a long time from now. But, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um... Such a long time. Oh, my gosh. Well, you're going to say, Jacob... I just, I don't know, I'm jumping back in here, I just love, I absolutely love uh, Satine and Obi-Wan's dynamic in this episode, how, you know, maybe there's still a little bit of a spark between them, but they're just, they're on opposite, they're completely at ideological odds, and they're they're going at it, they're not holding back, like, I don't yeah. know, I love that, it's hilarious. I have to tell you, I'm opposed to all of this, I'd be <laughs> disappointed if you weren't. I love they, how even they know in... each other too well. Yeah. yeah, I actually said this in my notes. I remember writing this down. I think Satine knows Obi Wan better than any living person at that time. One hundred percent. Yeah, more than probably. Anakin. 
I don't think more than Qui-Gon, but hey, look, Qui-Gon's dead, so, um, but yeah, I think, like, more than Yoda and more than Anakin, more than anyone, I think, Satine knows I would Obi-Wan. say even more than Qui-Gon Jinn, simply because she knew him in a, in a way that he was letting down that Jedi guard that he probably didn't let down around Qui-Gon Jinn. That's a very, that's a very good point. Yeah. They were kids. Yeah, it's a good point. I don't know. I think, I, I maybe I just like Qui-Gon was a very different master. So mm-hmm. you know yeah. the rules didn't exactly apply to him the way they applied to everybody, everybody else. <laughs> he kind of did his own thing. So I, I would imagine Obi Wan would be a little more open to Qui-Gon than he would not Satine generally, just to anybody else. So it's debatable, but I think is Satine debatable. is up there. Um. So, uh, I don't know. I got Geonosian vibes, like Obi-Wan approaching the Separatist base on Geonosis and clones from this whole sequence in the mine. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting... All, this whole sequence of Obi-Wan sneaking in is a really interesting one, again, because Death Watch is legitimate. Obi-Wan fights two Death Watch shoulders. Not 20, two. <laughs> Like, they're not ready for a full-scale invasion or anything. You know, it's made very clear in this episode, in this entire arc, that they cannot invade Mandalore without A, the support of the people, which, you know, uh, and B, the Separatist reinforcements. That's the big thing. It's the Separatist cause. Um, So, yeah. Um, Yeah, I think one moment in terms of this being a theme of you know the gradual revealing that the death watch exists and all these little surprises one thing that i love is how many times in this episode we see something related to the death watch like the hollow projector with the death watch symbol in the explosion or the rack of jetpacks in the in the cave and, and the we get helmets. this we and we get this special like the death watch sound effect it's like the death watch jungle that kind of low descending ambient hum I just think I just think that's great. It it gives such a it's such a vibe to it and it says, pay attention to this. This is important. Once you see those once you see those key helmets as I call them, like you know, the helmets with the Mandalorian mm-hmm. on, it's 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 a you know it's not like connected to the Fets in any way, because you know, that's what I, comes to my head, even though I know, you know, that's not Mandalorian specifically, traditionally all that. But like says it, all Mac. <laughs> yeah. Well, says says Floney too, but anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, what I gonna say? Even though I know they're not related to the Fets, even like the Fets are Mandalorians, but they're not allying with them with the Death Watch at this time. Even though I know that, it, the image is like a chills image. Um, you know something's up here. Um, this I also want to point out a really interesting sequence where Satine's wearing the earpiece and she has to simultaneously talk to obi-wan and talk to vizsla at the same time it is one of the most i think impressively acted sequences like per voice acting that we've seen so far anna graves pulls it off flawlessly it's Mm -hmm. so fascinating um yeah uh and uh oh yeah here's something you know all the demands about Obi-Wan and Anakin um, demanding each other and also Ahsoka about not losing their lightsabers? <laughs> I mean, what's going on with that? They're losing it all the time. 
Anakin got it. This was in season one. We were covering it. Um, in Dooku captured, Anakin got it. It it hit out of his hands by a rock. Ahsoka, they dedicated an entire episode. We covered it last week. Lightsaber um, lost. Yeah. Yeah. Obi Wan also loses it. I mean, it's taken from him, but like he, he only also gets- loses it in the Mandalore plot. And he only gets it back because Pre Vizsla gives it to him. Gives he wants it to back fight to him. him. Yes, it's yeah. Oh Speaking my gosh! Of Pre it's all it's all over the place. Um, we get one of my favorite. There are very few Clone Wars memes, but we got <laughs> one this episode, and I love it. When when I hear somebody say, I think I posted this on Twitter a couple days ago. When I hear somebody say the failure meme is overused, failure. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah. the failure meme is such a great one, and um. It is it is one of those ruthless moments. We also get that great speech that I will rant on and on about how great it is. For generations, my ancestors fought proudly as warriors against the Jedi. Now this woman tarnishes the very name Mandalorian. Uh, you know, it's it. Everyone has all the Mandalorian main characters, in my opinion, that we see have a different definition of what a Mandalorian is. Sabine has hers, Satine has hers, Bo-Katan has hers, Din has his. They're all, they're all different about what specifically a Mandalorian is. And when somebody disagrees, that is traitorous behavior. That is, you're in hot water. Yeah, really good point. Like, no matter who you are, it's no, no one was willing to compromise on it's, what they think, I guess, on their vision of Mandalore. And ultimately, kind of sadly, ultimately, in the longer term, that's what ends up bringing Mandalore under Imperial control. That there keeps being this infighting and they're not prepared. And and we'll see, and we see saw very briefly, and I'm sure we'll see this in Season 3 of The Mandalorian, in the finale of Season 2, we see it again. You know, Bogatan wants that Darksaber so badly, uh, Din doesn't want it, um, because Din doesn't really have a definition of Mandalorian anymore, because all of his Mandalorian people were wiped out, but Bo-Katan will do anything to get that Darksaber back, and Din doesn't want any part of it. So it's a, I'm sure we're going to see the definition of Mandalorian evolve more and change more. Absolutely. You have anything to add at this point, Maggie? No. You guys are hitting all the high points of this. Yeah. <laughs> I, know, I just want to. I just want to make sure that Ezergus, you get to. Yeah. Like say your piece. Oh and, no, and you're good. Your this thoughts. is. I will. I will disclose to both of you. I probably will have more to say about this episode than the other two because this one <laughs> is my favorite of the three. Um, I'm disclosing that we usually do like a mini episode ranking of the three. This is my favorite of the three. Um, so they get off of Concordia, um, and yeah, um, I think are we ready to move on to um, Voyage of Temptation? Yeah, I think we can move on. Yeah, in the interest of four. Fortune time, cookie. Yeah. Fortune cookie we got here is fear not for the future, weep not for the past. So much future and past analogies with yes. these fortune cookies. I looked ahead actually to the third one and I'm like, oh, it has nothing to do with anything. No. Yeah. Yay. Um, they were like, you thought you knew what we were doing, but sight. <laughs> you thought. <laughs> you thought. Um, not. Yeah, I think this is probably, in my opinion, the weakest of these three fortune cookies just in general. I feel like I, the only conclusion I could draw with this is to Yoda's um, counseling session to, with Anakin in Revenge of the Sith. Mourn them, do not miss them, do not rejoice 
for those around you who transform into the Force. Um, it has that sort of feeling of, um, yeah. I, it's one of those episodes, in my opinion, where the episode is better than the fortune cookie. It happens a lot, where the episode is just like, yeah, we don't even need a fortune cookie. Um, so, yeah, uh, I guess let's I mean, get into it. Um, yeah, I mean, this episode to me, I, I I really liked it. I forgot how interesting it was, you know, mm-hmm. like in terms of Satine and Obi-Wan's history, like the revelations that we have that they spent time on the run together. They admit they they kind of still have feelings for him. Obi-Wan almost left the Jedi Order. Like Yeah. Which Um, is such a huge revelation, especially in comparison to what's going on with Anakin and Padme. Um, I feel like this was like that extra context that I wish we could have had if it had existed (laughs) for like Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, because uh, it would really contextualize some of those conversations that Obi-Wan eventually has with Padme about the situation with Anakin uh, in Revenge of the Sith, but, you know, yeah, um, don't get into later, years later. Yeah, yeah just jumping that, ahead um, quickly to that point, um, one of my favorite parts of that scene is not that had you said the word I would have left the Jedi Order. That's that's really great, but it's Talmeric's, I can't believe this. <laughs> he has to be such a killjoy in that moment. It is it is so funny. I, I audibly giggled out loud when, I, when he said that. I'm like... He had to. They just like, like all props to the writer who put that line in. That was a pristine line right there. Um, yeah. And I think Maggie, in response to what you said about the context, I think it's interesting because I thought that in many ways this episode feels a bit like a look at how maybe Obi Wan has succeeded or succeeded more where mm-hmm. Anakin has kind of failed you know, Obi-Wan like made the choice and it ended up rest of the rest of Star Wars, um, uh, notwithstanding, it ended up kind of working out for him. Yeah. Whereas Anakin tried to tried to do both. He tried to have his attachment, he tried to have his love, and he also tried to have his his career with the the Jedi and be this legendary Jedi, and that ended up obviously not working out for him. So I think it's kind of it's like spoiler alert it didn't work out too well for him (laughs) actually well i was gonna say even in that realm of things if you look into the future of course you know satine dies and that doesn't work out well for obi-wan but if you look at the reactions obi-wan's reactions to satine's death i mean he gets down about it but like you know he realizes that all wants is to break him Mm -hmm. and he doesn't let that break him he that also ends up foiling a lot of Maul's plans, um, but you know, he it's a um, it's a stark contrast to where is Padme? Is she safe? Is she all right? And then we see the of course the infamous no, <laughs> and he let and Anakin we see by the comics by the VR stuff by the books all that. He lets it rule him for the next, like, 19 years. Oh, yeah. Sorry. 23 years. There we go. Um, and it's it's interesting to me. And I think, to Jacob's point, I think even if you look beyond these episodes, Obi-Wan handles it better. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think uh, also in terms of the fortune cookie, I think, like, fear not for the future. Like, obviously, the past, you know, 
we see Obi-Wan and, and Satine in their past. But I think the future, in terms of the future, this part mystified me, but I kind of realized that they both fear a future in which they're forced to give up their morals to protect what they want to protect. And that's kind of why they're butting heads so much. And that's why they're acting um, the way they are. And I think with with Satine kind of, of sticking so rigidly to neutrality and, and nonviolence because she feels that in this war, eventually she's just going to get pushed and she's going to have to kind of betray her, her morals. And that's kind of also what, uh, what Talmeric, I mean, admittedly, admit, admittedly pretty heavy handedly, you know, we see Talmeric just, just kind of trying to get them to betray the morals. He's like, Oh, Kenobi, you, you can't, Kenobi. you can't kill me. You can't kill me. Nobody can kill me. And then of course, of course, Anakin ends up, they're just walking up behind him and, and stabbing him in the back but which is yeah. a chilling sequence by the way um which is abruptly ended by one of the funniest anakin lines i've ever heard um what he was gonna blow up the ship <laughs> it's this very like you know they're both still in this very romantic mood and anakin's just like he was endangering the lives of everyone i gotta save everyone <laughs> it's yeah. such a it, it's such a it's such a jolt out of that scene. Um, to Jacob's point, I there's that exchange later uh, in the episode, the sarcasm of a soldier, the delusion of a dreamer, um, that points to their clashing philosophies. Um, and you know, um, Ornfrita and who is the other one? I don't know. Ornfrita has to like turn down the temperature with them, but it's like they they're very um, they're from a certain point of viewing each other. Um, that's what they were doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, which, you know, that's how they, that's how we know they are, they're made for each other. They can, from a certain point of view, each other sentences. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, also, um, yeah. Uh, I also love, there's a little reference in this episode. Did anyone notice the swarm of Venomites on Jaboon? I don't, I don't it, know. It was if a I passing reference. I don't remember that. Another, it, it's uh Satine references that time with the, the swarm of venomites on Draboon. I still have the scar. Um and oh. and, and Obi-Wan says, I think it's like, wait, you I carried you out of there unharmed. Yeah, the scar was from when you dropped me. Um <laughs> And the thing that brought back to me was that time on Kata Nemoidia. It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't count. <laughs> um, it's, there's the, that's what I love that the prequel era specifically, because those are both from that era, do, is they drop hints of other adventures. We still mm-hmm. haven't seen that time on Kata Nemoidia. And of course, we haven't seen the time with the swarm of Venomites under Draboon. But there's that hope in the back of my mind. It's like, someday we're going to see the swarm of Venomites on Draboon. Yeah. Um, I think that is something that I think we got an entire movie to explain a line and a crawl. We can <laughs> explain that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> swarm of venomites on Jabu. It's um, interesting you should bring that up because I think that the prequels sometimes draw criticism for uh, endlessly referencing things that don't ever happen on on screen and just kind of oh, yeah, yeah ma- making all these callbacks. But I think that that is what helps kind of make the prequels special in their commitment to really uh, world building so much of what we know now for star wars 
Well, what's so interesting is that the original trilogy did that too. I mean, I know there's that meme going around. Yeah, there's that meme going around currently about the Clone Wars. Uh, And it's so interesting because I think people have forgotten that when they originally saw the movie, they never were really concerned with what that connected to. It was just context. I mean, any movie has references to things you're never going to see. You're never going to get explained. Just like in real life, you reference a story, but you're not going to spend an hour explaining it to only a friend. Only Star Wars would do that. Only Star Wars fans expect everything to be spelled out to them. And it's like patience, Padawan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Eventually we will get a yeah. certain point of view for the Phantom Menace and for Attack <laughs> of the Clones, you know, 40 years yeah. from now. But, <laughs> well, 20 years well, now. Not yeah, even let's long. say they're, get, they're, they're older than, you know, Stop reminding um, me how old I am. <laughs> the rise of Winter Warfare. We're probably going to have a rise of Skywalker from a certain point of view. Oh, like, God. And I swear to God, now. if my OG of Best Dune story is not in that, <laughs> I'm going to. <laughs> it, it, oh, it's going to happen one of these days. Um, it will. It will. It, it, it's going to be glorious. Um. Anyway, Uh. yeah. So. Um, Speaking of dialogue, this episode has one of my favorite like Obi-Wan moments, which is like Obi-Wan and Satine's like flirting over his beard, which just cracks me up. And I'm a well-known Obi-Wan and Satine are the parents of Corky <laughs> Believer. Um, Candace from the Geeky Waffle and I actually did a um, video about quote unquote proving uh, why Corky is... Uh, why Corky is uh, their child and I just think it's interesting there's the scene about Obi-Wan without a beard and then we like know what he looks like without a beard and the animation is very similar to Corky's animation so it's just very intentional Um, it just continues to fuel my crack theory (laughs) I'm not I wouldn't say I'm totally like into like it's not that I don't believe it or I don't want it it's just like there's some questions that I have about it but I will say the thing that's convinced me most. So he's his, he's her nephew. And he's Who not Bo-Katan. He's not Bo-Katan. It's not Bo-Katan. It's not Bo-Katan. We would have known if it was Bo-Katan. It's not. It's, so I think it's they either have somewhere. a third sibling that we don't know about for reasons. And or it's Satine. So, you know, that's, <laughs> that's the biggest thing convincing me. Um, I guess eventually we'll just have to wait for that Obi-Wan and Satine go on an adventure, uh, you know, years ago and we learn yeah. what happens. Um, so uh, there are, um, so they, the Separatists and the Mandalorians get these droids to infiltrate the um, the ship they're on. First of all, when Tal Merrick is stabbed through the chest, the Imperial March plays. Yeah, um, yeah, which I love is that. one of my favorite pieces of foreshadowing we get. It's chilling. Um, also, um, I think Jacob, we referenced this a week two ago, but we got it. We got to talk about this deep fried Nuna legs. <laughs> yet another. <laughs> the delivery yet another, of that line is perfect. I would another, not change a single thing. Yeah, yet another um, instance of uh, the infamous. Uh, Swamp Luna. turkey, as uh, StarWars.com calls it a, yeah, they call it a swamp turkey at one point. And I, I, I find that quite hilarious. Yeah. Um, one thing that I found out um, in terms of, of trivia also is that uh, the, the scene where Anakin um, is kind of poking fun at uh, Obi-Wan and being, oh, you're nervous. 
you're nervous because he's gonna meet um Satine again, and they're in the elevator is almost an exact opposite of Anakin and Pat of or of Anakin and Obi Wan going to meet Padme in Episode Two, and Obi Wan's like, "I sense you're nervous." So I thought I thought that was pretty funny, but I also think I wrote, that again, I wrote that down in my of, notes, and I skipped sort of, over it. Yeah, and again, I think it sort of symbolizes how um they've kind of they're in such a similar position more than we might think on the surface and and yet they take different paths and if we if we go off of what obi-wan says where he says you were my brother anakin i loved you they're they're almost they're almost brothers who then who then end up taking completely different paths just like satine and bo-katan that that's is crazy. Good. That is a reach, that's but that is good. crazy. <laughs> no, actually, that's that's not a reach. That's 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 good. It's, you, one might say it's like poetry. You know, it rhymes. Um, the, the you're gonna find I rivalry. use that a lot, Maggie. You, you're gonna find I reference that a lot. Um, it's his favorite thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> almost as almost as much as Jacob likes loves to talk about the Jedi losing their way. I don't understand why. And I how keep terrible back to the, is. I don't understand um, why I keep going back to the Jedi losing their way. Because I, I honestly like the Jedi a lot, but I, I, I don't know. Um, I yeah. I'm um, a Jedi pragmatist. I have a lot of issues with the Jedi. Yeah. In war, Fruth is the first casualty. This felt like a very prevalent, especially in today's society, when people have, <laughs> when people's opinions influence yes. their facts. Um, you know, uh, and that is like, the scene that brings to comes to my head is Satine in Palpatine's office. Well, it could have been just an accident. <laughs> I'm like, of course it could have been. But do we really believe, with all of the threats Satine's getting these days, with how her plans are going, is it realistic to assume it was an accident? The answer is no. Um, no. Yeah. It's, um, it is, and of course, as I call it, Satine's no good, horrible, very bad day. So yeah, she uh, is railing against that Republic intervention. Um, she has that tampered message by Easter Egg, Minister Jarek. Jarek is also a name of a very famous Legends character, um, a blind Inquisitor who was killed by famous Jedi Knight, Kyle Katarn. Um, oh, Kyle. That. Wanted to pull that out. Um, yeah. I see a lot of people saying Kyle should be canon, and to, to them I say he is canon. His name is Canon Jarrus. Um, so uh, this is true. We got a much better Kyle. I'm inclined to agree with you. Um, yeah. Um, so I'm trying to think. Any either of you have something to start off with? Because I send my piece on there. I just wish that we had gotten more Padme and Satine interacting with each other. Because I think those two characters would have been fast friends if given more yes. time. Yeah. I actually think, I was thinking the other day about them. I was thinking to myself, okay, Eli, let's remove the systems they're occupying and the jobs they have. Which are pretty much basically the same anyway. I mean, not really, but like, Padme was once Queen of Naboo. I'm trying to figure out the differences between the two of them because they seem very, very similar as characters. I think Padme, they're both very principled, but I would say that it seems like Padme is a little bit more um, pragmatic and will sometimes go a little further towards the ends justify the means. Mm -hmm. But I think that for um, Satine, like... the ends never justify the means. And, and we kind of we see that with 
everything that she stands for and the way that she yet, uses her philosophy. And yet, who's the one constantly standing for peace in season three? Who's the one who goes to Minabon Terry for peace accords? <laughs> uh, you know, I think one of the main differences that you kind of touched on is Padme does not have an aversion to violence. She engages in aggressive negotiations all the freaking time. Does she yeah. want to? Probably not. Does she realize she has to? Also, yes. Though then again, there's that Satine line in, I think, one of these episodes, just because I'm a pacifist doesn't mean I won't defend myself. So. Yeah. Yes. I'm foiling myself is what I'm saying. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So, let's see. Here's something else I noticed. Um, isolation is very common for Mandalorians. If you think about all the major Mandalorian characters, they're all loners. All of them. Satine. We, we, Obi-Wan talks about uh, him, uh, her pushing him away, keeping your friends at arm's length. Sabine Wren in Rebels, you know, I've heard a uh, fellow podcaster uh, who's been on the show before, Devor, in one of his most recent episodes of Large View of the Force, um, talk about Satine as like the black sheep of the um, Rebels crew. Um, and she is. She's very alone in that sense. So is Bo-Katan. You know, we always see her with different sidekicks every time she comes because I don't really feel like she can hang on to friends that well. And of course, Din himself, who associated with nobody until a little green kid, 50-year-old kid, stole his heart. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, anything about, just uh, really the episode in general while I go through my notes again. Uh. I don't know. I think that, you know, the Satine versus Palpatine debate is super interesting because mm -hmm. once again, Palpatine just, oh, he, he's so deliciously hateable in this like he's yes he is. i'm just like oh palpatine you you monster you he's so sneaky the way he he constantly gets exactly what he wants but he makes it look like he doesn't want it so well where he's like well unfortunately that's not the truth or unfortunately we're gonna have to invade or oh i can't believe i'm doing this but I have to give myself more emergency powers. Oh, the horror. Oh, the tragedy. <laughs> He's such a master so, manipulator. Yeah, yeah, he is. I Every time every time Palpatine is in a room with Anakin, pre-Anakin's fall, I am eating this stuff up. It's, I, I, I always like, I always love to joke about it. Anakin, don't you think it would be best if we would just give more emergency powers to me? Yeah. And there's that quote from the Zillow B Strikes Back. Whose side are you on? Yours, but you must admit you make some really good points. Um which is just so perfect. Um Yeah. Um Yeah, Palpatine is so he's such a the Clone Wars really, in my opinion, rounds his character out in such a satisfying way. Um Yeah. Um There's only one other thing I have really for this episode. Um, it's the last line of the episode. Sometimes the line between friend and foe is blurred, Obi-Wan says to Satine. Seems like a nice little way to wrap up the episode, right? Let's look a little deeper in it. Where are they? They're in the Chancellor's office. 
Sometimes the line between friend and foe is blurred. Palpatine is half of the time friend and half of the time foe because he is playing both sides. That's true. Sometimes the line between friend and foe is blurred. They say while being in the office of somebody whose line of friend and foe is blurred. That is meta right there. Um, yeah. Maggie, do you have anything else or are we going to go into our speed round? I'm ready for speed round. Okay. Um, these are th- th- this, that sounds more intimidating than it is. It's rarely ever a speed round either. Um, people are not very speedy about it. We're Star Wars fans. We'd like to elaborate. Um, it, uh, so we have a selection of 10 Star Wars questions um, that Jacob and I are going to a- ask you in rapid asterisk-ish um, succession. Are you ready? Let's see. Okay, let's let's okay. Hard hitting question right here. Who is your favorite Star Wars character and why? Oh, my favorite Star Wars character constantly changes. Um, it's somewhere tied between Cassian Andor and Din Djarin. Uh, Cassian Andor was a revelatory character for me just because Rogue One hit at a very specific time in history. And it spoke to me in a way that no other Star Wars film has spoken to. And Cassian instantly became like top of the list, but Din is really close. Yeah. I'm, I guess it's pretty exciting then that we're getting um, Andor. I'm so excited. <laughs> it was actually the reason I subscribed to Disney Plus like right off the bat. <laughs> Yeah, and th- and then you fell in love with Din, the other darling of Disney yes. Plus. Um, <laughs> so that's 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 not a subscription wasted. Um, yeah. Okay, Jacob, go ahead. So next, um, what is your Star Wars movie ranking? Or if you don't have a ranking ready or or in your mind, you just do your top five, your top three, whatever you feel. So Rogue One, The Last Jedi, uh, Attack of the Clones, uh, Empire Strikes Back, uh, Revenge of the Sith. Uh, Return of the Jedi, The Force Awakens, A New Hope, Solo, um, and then I guess Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> I, was, I, was I was like, do I want to add it? <laughs> we have so we've had so many people on who really love Attack of the Clones, and at one point oh, I yeah, really didn't like it, but I've just. There, I don't know. I've been just been some, learning been to love interesting it. Rankings. Also, I would like to ask you on this because we ask people on about this all the time. I have the opinion that quite a few people have. Jacob doesn't. Where do you put the Clone Wars movie in that? Oh, um, probably a little bit lower down. Um, definitely nowhere near. Uh, I don't like it for the animation style. So, like, I'm I'm always salty about the animation and the early days of the Clone Wars. Uh, so, I would say somewhere down, like around A New Hope. Definitely nowhere near Rise of Skywalker. Um, but I, I I I it's on the bottom of my list. Um, Jacob, I think it's like what five six for you or something. No, like yeah, it's not that high up. I mean, it's hard because I mean, I I. I I love it, but it's just it has its own it has its pitfalls. But it's a it's a darling of mine. If they did like honest. a remastered with like slightly better animation, I think I might enjoy it even more. Yeah, I think For if they me, remastered, the it'd be awesome. Really the animation, it's the story. Honestly, <laughs> the story is just honestly for me so lacking. Um, but there, I, 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 I think I, I think you were on the thread I was referencing this. I'm a big movie trivia Schmodown fan, and there's a Star Wars division of that. When they're getting, they're, they get a question in any other league than the Star Wars League. Star Wars in the Clone Wars. Oh damn it! 
Also, because their Clone Wars trivia questions are all so softballs, they're like, who voiced Obi-Wan? I'm like, are you kidding me? Oh my god. Um, so I guess that's the difference between the Star Wars and the non-stars. You can go way deeper. Yeah. Um, especially, it's like, who says in The Force Awakens, um, I, maybe Leader Snoke should consider using a clone army. And then in the Clone Wars, they're like, what's Anakin's nickname for Ahsoka? I'm like, really? Are you kidding me? Um, okay. Uh, next one. Uh, what is your favorite non-movie Star Wars media that people are missing out on? Uh, nobody's missing out on it, but The Mandalorian is probably my favorite non-movie um, Star Wars. However, I will say I'm really into um, Daniel Jose Older's uh, High Republic Adventures comics. Um, I think they're some of the best storytelling we've had in a long time in the comics, outside of like Dr. Avra, which is like probably the best comic uh, from Star Wars, and I've, I've been really enjoying that. So I hope people aren't sleeping on both Daniel and Cabin's uh, comics. Man, I'm oh gosh, that just reminds me how far behind I am on all the new Star Wars you books. Need to catch I, up. I know I have to catch up. I haven't even I haven't even cracked the High Republic yet. It's so <laughs> I'm like yeah, I, I feel like I, I'm missing out. <laughs> yeah, I I I I definitely feel that too. Jacob, go ahead. All right, what is your favorite Star Wars background character? A character that maybe doesn't appear for that long, maybe doesn't say anything. <laughs> Amira from Mandalorian. Uh, um, uh, yeah. I really want to see her again. Um, yeah. Fingers crossed. We'll see her again someday. Um, I just felt they like they have a habit in that show of bringing back characters from. They do, one. and I feel like her introduction left a lot of questions. Uh, they very intentionally set up that she knew how to fire those weapons very well. Uh, so it felt like definitely backdoor plot bait to come back to look if they can bring mayfeld back they can bring omura back bring her back omura <laughs> is five times the character mayfeld will ever be right. and i say that after watching the believer um uh okay what in your opinion is the coolest star wars species other than humans uh, oh oh god so I love Twi'leks. I feel like Twi'leks are poorly represented in Star Wars because uh, they're typically only ever working at cantinas or kept in chains at Jabba's yeah, palace. Um, and they're I pretty sexualized, aren't they? They're very overly sexualized, um, but I think they're really interesting, and I would love to see a really good story about them uh, in a comic. Um, was very happy to see at least some Twi'leks in the High Republic. Okay. Yeah. Nice. All right. What is your favorite Star Wars planet? Uh, Naboo. That's easy. <laughs> Naboo's okay. my favorite. Um, J Jacob, why don't you take the next one? You'll see why. Oh. Um, oh, yeah. I think we switched the order and you were asking the we, questions we, we that I made and I was asking the questions. We rearranged the orders. Um, <laughs> for we got to make stuff, so, yeah. No, yeah, so, I know why. I see why. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. if, if you lived in the Star Wars universe, what would you want your job to be? How do you oh make money? Gosh. Oh my gosh. So for the longest time when I was a kid, I thought I would want to be a Jedi. But now that I'm older, I'm very jaded towards the Jedi. And I feel like I would probably be a bounty hunter, but probably not a really good bounty hunter. Um, <laughs> I like the specificity. Bounties are just not that good. Um, we're, we're not looking S-tier like Boba Fett, Cad Bane stuff. No, we're looking like... No, I'm thinking more like Cade Skywalker, who is like one of my favorites. Um, I have this habit of when I... I 
cosplay like my own character creations that I come up with. Um, and since I have a Galaxy's Edge lightsaber and I have a blaster, I tend to be a Jedi with a like gun, basically, <laughs> which is like such a cat, like such a Cade Skywalker thing. Not really like any bounty hunters having lightsabers that we've ever seen before. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, nothing in the Jedi code that says they can't have guns. They, so just, they, don't. they just don't. Yeah. They just Luke has it sometimes. You know, Kanan sometimes. Oh, Kanan, yeah, that's a, that's yeah, a, you brought that's a good up exception to the a rule. bit of a salt in the wound. Jacob and I were scheduled. We were going to Galaxy's Edge in like early March 2020. Oh, <laughs> so, I'm sorry. So we still haven't been. I uh, so yeah. Okay. Um, I mentioned this earlier on the episode. I mentioned this a lot. Um, one of my favorite quotes describing the behind the scenes of Star Wars is, you know, it's like poetry, you know, they rhyme. Every stanza sort of rhymes with the last. Hopefully it'll work. <laughs> um, what is your favorite example of that in anything Star Wars? Doesn't have to be just movie. Oh my gosh, there's so many perfect moments. I feel like, you know, not to just bring it back to the, the episodes that we're talking about right now, but I think there's a lot about the Satine and Obi-Wan relationship or non-relationship um, working as a really nice foil to the Padme and Anakin relationship was something I really appreciated that they they did in the Clone Wars. And that's definitely one of those, it's like poetry, it rhymes moments. Um, the master having kind of overcome the same situation that his you know, Padawan is now in essentially. Um, and I, I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. Jacob, go right ahead. That was a really good one. I've never thought of that before. Okay. If you could take one uh, object or force power from Star Wars into the real world and use it to your to your heart's content, what would it be? Uh, I can't before bring any answer people. The, <laughs> before oh my you gosh, answer this question, I would like to point out a, a poetry at Ryan's moment for in a galaxy. The first guest we had on, the item she said she would bring in was the Darksaber. And now we are finally covering the Darksaber's appearance in Star Wars. Just that's a good point. That out there. That's a good point. That's, that's just a, that's just a um, so I will, I will bring the child. I will bring Ooh. Grogu. Or alternatively, if I can't bring like an actual character, I'm going to bring a Porg. My room is filled with porgs. More porgs than anybody one. even sees on my show. Well, I'm all of a sudden I'm surrounded by pork lovers. <laughs> this is true. I'm a big this believer that the crystal fox got snubbed in the merchandising process in the last. I Jedi. love that crystal fox would have been so awesome. <laughs> yeah. are better. Um, Maybe we can have both. Okay, both is yeah. good. So, Eli and I will. We 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 butt heads a lot on porgs. Okay. Um, finally, um, we have a little tradition on this show, um, and I'm going to show you the name, I, sorry, not the name, I'm going to show you a character, an image of a character. Okay. All you got to do is tell me how you pronounce their name. Oh, no. That's all you got to do. Um, shoot. So where is this? Chrome tab. Uh, here it is. Tell me if you can see my screen. I can see your you screen. You can see it. Oh, my god. She's the ship. They used the decoy. It's not her fault. Oh, like Zim Whistle, isn't it? Okay, thank you. Um, there, yeah. there was a so, controversy over whether it is supposed to be pronounced Zam Wessel or Zam Wazel, and we have Wazelle. we have we have uh, found ourselves somehow in in the middle of that since in uh, Star Wars Bounty Hunter, um, which is a video game we covered for in a Galaxy. This mm -hmm. was July, 
Um, Zam Wessel introduces herself. Hi, I'm Zam Wiesel. Um, and Jacob and I looked at each other and were like, what? <laughs> and then, and then I heard also felt, uh, uh, Devor from a large view of the force. He's like, yeah, I always pronounced it Wiesel. And I'm like, you did? And so that's always been our thing since then. Every single person, you have not broken the streak. Every single person that we've had on the show has said Wessel, except for him. Interesting. Every single one. It, the streak, we've had like eight or nine guests on the show. The streak has not been broken yet. I'm convinced, I told Jacob like before we were recording today, I'm convinced one day it's going to be broken. I'm convinced somebody is going to say, oh yeah, I pronounced it Wessel. I don't know who it's going to be. I'm convinced though that one day. Okay, that wraps up our interview questions. Uh, finally, before we outro this episode, first one, I forgot to announce something at the beginning of this episode. Uh, this is my bad. Hope you all enjoyed our stream that hasn't happened yet when we're recording this. Uh, we're streaming tomorrow, uh, but by the time this episode comes out, we will have streamed it. Um, so hope you enjoy that. Um, we had a lot of fun, I think. Um, Maggie, before we go... Where can everyone listening to this find you? You can find me on Twitter at Maggie of the Town, and I've made it really easy to follow me on every different platform because I have a link tree in my bio with all of my different pursuits. And you can find me writing over at Your Money Geek all the time about Star Wars, pop culture, everything in between, uh, and over at the Star Wars Friends podcast. Okay, um, that is going to be it, I think, for this episode of Star Wars in a Galaxy. Um, we are, uh, you can find us on Twitter at In a Galaxy Pod, at Instagram, at Star Wars in a Galaxy, fumbled a little bit there. Uh, YouTube, Star Wars in a Galaxy. Uh, email us, swinagalaxy at gmail.com. Uh, please leave a five star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us, our visibility. Um, I'm trying to think of something, anything else. Uh, no, uh, hope you enjoyed the stream again. Um, <laughs> that hasn't happened yet. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, next week we are going to be covering the final three episodes of season two in our season two watch along, which are Death Trap, R2 Come Home, and Lethal Trackdown. Until then, may the Force be with you always.